This is the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Oaklander beats Brant Burns for the puck. Drops it to Besser on the end wall. Tied up by Slavin. Besser wriggles free into the slot. Miller one-timer. He scores! Back to the point for Brant Burns who takes a shot. Deflected. They score! Stephen Nason on the side of the goal. Scoops it home. It was tipped in the slot. Looked like it went off the crossbar. Might have actually gone in on the initial chance, but Nason's there to shovel it home. With instant reaction from the players and coaches. To the left corner, and Mikheyev's got it. Sweeps it behind the net for Pedersen. Wraparound, he scores! A power move from behind the net by Elias Pedersen. He shovels it. Passed on to Ranta, and the Canucks answer quickly after the Hurricanes tied the game. Have your say on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Canucks with a 4-3 victory on home ice over the Carolina Hurricanes. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. We are going to welcome in Brett Festerling into the conversation in just a moment's time. You can grab a phone line, 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. You can also hit us up on our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. The Canucks, well, like Brett mentioned at the end of the game, deserve to win this one. And they started the game off really well, got themselves in some trouble on the penalty uh, kill by taking too many penalties, allowed the Hurricanes to get back into this game. But like they've done a good job of, and that is seeing games out in the third period, bounce back with Pedersen scoring. And they didn't give Carolina too much down the stretch the last few minutes, a good way to close the game out. Yeah, they, they played a solid game. They, they came up with big plays when they needed it, right? Like, Demko had some big stops on the PK. I think Petey answering that right after Carolina ties it up. They just seem to have an answer for certain things that Carolina threw at them all night. So I thought it was, you know, a relatively uh, well-played game all in all. It was consistent throughout the whole game. I don't know if they hit like a 10 out of 10 stage to this game, but it was consistent the whole way through. And that's, you know, something you wanted to see here, given that they've gone through these struggles here where it's win one, lose one, and it's been a good period, maybe two bad ones, two good ones, one bad one. This was the same kind of tempo the whole game through. Obviously, they make mistakes on the penalties, but... That's going to happen, obviously, in a game. But I think the thing, the, the fact that they were even the whole game through uh, was, was a big step. Yeah, I thought so, too. And especially against a team that was very hungry. The first few shifts, Carolina was on top of it. But Vancouver just kind of kept playing their game. And one thing that they seemed to do a really good job of was scouting the Carolina Hurricanes. They looked a lot cleaner getting out of their own zone. It took advantage of sometimes the gaps that Carolina has in their forecheck, which allowed them to get some chances going the other way. Yeah, Carolina did come really hard, but... Vancouver didn't get they didn't get chaotic. They didn't start running around. They kind of just stayed in their system. They knew they were going to be pressuring. You saw a lot of wingers either chip it or have kind of the eat the eat the defenseman kind of bump to the center that was there to support, right? That's part of that uh, pre-scout. So I think they did a good job. Yeah, and you're right. I think they're well prepared for what they're going to face against Carolina. The, the, the plays to like get the puck out of the zone, right? Obviously, the Lafferty one that helps yeah. set up the McKayev goal. Hoaglander had a couple throughout the course of the evening. It, it's stuff like that on a night where we're focusing on how much pressure the Canes are going to put on you. Well, how do you release that pressure, right? It's got to get those pucks out. Obviously, the retrievals are important, but your first opportunity to get the pucks out, that to me was a big one throughout the course of the game, too. I thought so, too. And just to not allow Carolina to get that constant pressure on. They're a good team with the cycle. They grind you along the walls, and that's how they tire you out, and then come wave after wave, and 
Next thing you know, you're never getting out of your own zone. Canucks did a really good job of not allowing that to happen. And I think a lot of that credit also goes to the defenseman, but the centers helped that a lot tonight. You saw Bluger, Miller, Patterson all be deep, helping with the breakout. And I think that was a big part of it as well. Yeah, and I think if you look, there was a lot of plays that Canucks did a good job to get in neutral zone. They just didn't have enough you know, they wouldn't get it necessarily deep and get the four check going, but they they had the support. It would have been like D to D to center to wing to wing supporting. They didn't have enough guys to get it there, but they did a good job to get in the neutral zone, right. live to fight another day kind of thing, get it out. And then when they had a chance, that leads into some really good changes. I thought their changes were actually really good tonight. They were doing it when they were in the offensive zone. And then, or guys wouldn't wholesale where Hoaglander, one of those guys would change. The other guys would stay out, let let the change, just not letting Carolina come and attack freely, keep them back, and then change, or even change on the set breakouts. On a night when they had too, too many men. Yeah, I, I, you know what, I said that, I literally said that in the broadcast. <laughs> when I'm like, I was going to say how good their changes were, and then they got the second. Those are both D-men that are coming in okay, late, though. Yeah. But you're right. I'm saying for, like, yes. sustained pressure, I think... I mean, how bad is it to watch a hockey game when you get the get the red line, dump it in, wholesale change, they just come back, you, yeah. it just turns into that for 60 minutes. That's not fun to watch. I think today the forwards there changed we go. well. well I, you know what? And I think it's still a good point because it's about the advantages you can get by doing that, and sometimes you don't. So I, I, the fact that they had the too many, too, too many men penalties, I don't think takes away from the fact that they were able to get some good advantages and getting the pressure to, to sustain by getting those line changes done in the, in the offensive zone. Well, just look at the Miller uh, goal. Yeah, the Miller goal, right? That's Pedersen a beeline in for the yeah. bench. Yeah. Uh, Hoaglander wins that race, gains Burns, and it just slows the play up, and here comes JT Miller screaming into the slot. Like, that's a play that I imagine you're talking about. It's yeah. it, it's not all three guys at once. It's find your moments to get off. But Petey's screaming to the bench, whereas some of the D-men weren't screaming <laughs> to the bench. Yes, <laughs> so. and that's that's kind of the difference there. And, you know, obviously a couple mistakes, and I thought the Canucks PK tonight looked really good. They allowed one goal, but I thought they killed the five on three really well. Demko was on top of it. But we got to hit the, the game's best star, best player tonight. Elias Patterson. There's been a lot of talk about Patterson. Three points again tonight. And for a guy who was still on pace to have over 100 points, there's been a lot of discussion in the market recently about his game and where it's been at. I thought tonight we're, we're starting to see kind of that old Patterson reemerge a little bit. Yeah, he made some really nice plays. He had some good battles. I like you know what I mean? Like that the defensive plays into creating offense or having that gear where he separates. Yeah. But I mean it was great to see Lafferty clear that mm-hmm. lane for him and that's where Petey's so confident and when he gets into those, you know, where he can get creative or he can take take areas, open areas, or use his skill to get into those open areas. So yeah, I thought he played great tonight. And I like that it wasn't you know, survive by production, right? We could have a night where it's like, okay, he wasn't really effective, but he gets his two points. Maybe it's on the power play and it's perimeter play. Like immediately it was, I'm cutting to the middle of the ice. I'm going to do this all night long. And it's up to you guys to contend with it. He battles through a play with Slavin, goes around. I think it was Burns and draws a penalty. And then obviously the, the, the assist on the Lafferty goal, it's I'm going to the middle of the ice. Lafferty's driving. I'm putting this pocket. It's, it's, it was more in command than we've seen here over the past three weeks or a month, whatever you want to call it. And that's the bit that I like. It's We've seen physical plays where he does like the, the swooping back check kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. 
and you're being physical, but it's not consistently like working through contact. That's not going to be functional play. It's a nice highlight, but what actually drives the play, it's all the stuff that we saw today from Elias Pettersson. Yeah, and I think that was really encouraging to kind of see him come alive. But, you know, we mentioned Sam Lafferty and the role he's had. Ilya Mikheyev as well. I thought tonight got the goal, of course, and pretty decent on the forecheck. But the play that he makes on the Mikheyev goal in the defensive zone, gets to the puck, gets, helps get the puck out. We see in those instances where having that speed on the wing in your defensive zone, how much that can help you by getting to pucks really quickly. And sometimes when we looked at the top six prior to some of these tweaks being made, Phil Dijazepi, not the fastest player, of course. Kuzmenko hadn't found his game. We kind of caught Nomad's land a little bit. And he's not a guy that really explodes towards the boards either. But having guys that can win those pucks in the defensive zone, how much can that help out going the other way, as we saw on that Mikheyev goal? Yeah, you just get it. Get, like, you don't give them opportunity, right? When you have that gear to close it, either to... I mean, Pete even did it just in the last two minutes here. Yeah. He took that gear. He he let Cole do his work, but he he's the one that leans in to the D-man coming down, running that, like, two-feet interference, right? There's right. little plays like that you missed. The one that came he, to the corner? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He has that gear to but, run that interference. To be honest, he actually kind of does it on his own goal because yeah. he, he attaches to Aho real early before he gets that puck, and you just see, like, win the play early, and then the rest of it is cake for him because he's like, my hands are free. I can skate around this. <laughs> yeah. And and that play, again, the one in the corner, just I think it was on Shea as they were coming down yeah, here. Yeah, and it it's, it's just win the space, and then you'll win the puck. Yeah, it, it's just smart plays like that that you notice. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, it's not always about having the most skilled guys together. And ultimately, you probably still want to have some guys with a bit more talent playing with Pedersen long term. But if you can get to pucks, you can create some transition chances. You have Pedersen on your line. He's a, he's a kingmaker. And we're seeing him uh, give a plenty of opportunities to his linemates. Yeah, I mean, like, he's just so good in those, in those open spaces. And Lafferty fits that well, obviously. Yeah, I don't know. If you, yeah, I don't know what you do. You try. I guess that's, that's what they're trying to do with Kuzmenko, right? Add some of that defensive and and getting north stuff that Lafferty brings. Lafferty's probably not going to bring overly skilled right. play, but I mean, I, it looks good just because of that empty space we're talking about. And when Pete's confident, taking that extra space becomes very effective against opponents. It was interesting too on that Lafferty goal. It's because there's like two guys. I mean, Lafferty in particular driving through the middle and. They're all sucking in deep, and now Pedersen can play it at his speed, and he's, he's got a good shot. He's still going to be able to get it off, and he creates that goal. Uh, he certainly does. Uh, I also wanted to talk about the Miller line a little bit. We talked about the goal that Miller scored on the line change, and I thought it was good work by Brock Besser as well and had a heads-up play finding JT Miller. But Niels Hoaglander and his forechecking tonight, and even on that Miller goal, Miller, uh, Pedersen rims the puck around, Hoaglander gets to it first, gets it over to Brock Besser, and in the third period, he's trusted late in the game. I mean, he's out there the, fast, uh, the last few shifts of the game and helping the team win, so you're seeing that line have a, have a lot of success tonight defensively. Laying out my favorite play of the game, <laughs> laying out before the D-to-D pass to cut <laughs> it off was amazing. Like, that, that's one confidence, and it's rolling the dice, because I couldn't imagine if that D turns back the other way and Hoaglander just sprawled out in the middle of the ice all four but yeah he played great he had great energy he won some really important battles and key times that Tockett obviously was putting him in areas to test and trust him and he's really just added 
you know, value to that line. Yeah, certainly has. And a man who helped the team win tonight joins us outside the Canucks locker room, and it is defenseman Ian Cole who had an assist tonight helping the Canucks win 4-3 over the Carolina Hurricanes. Ian, always a pleasure having you on the postgame show. And I-, I know the coach talked about having better starts, and I know you guys got into some penalty trouble, but did you feel you guys were closer to a 60-minute effort tonight? Um, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, but, yes, I, uh, I would agree with that. I think it was um, it was a better, more complete game all the way around. Um, you know, they play an interesting style. I mean, they're essentially uh, almost man-on-man all over the ice. Mm-hmm. So um, there's not a lot of time. There's not a lot of space. Uh, it's really tough to make plays. You just kind of kind of grind. And, um, you know, I think for us, where we want to make plays, we want to play, you know, in a skillful way, Sometimes we need to be able to grind out these games, right? As the season goes into the into the spring and hopefully into the summer, um, you know we're going to need to be able to, to win games like this. So I think it's a good trial run to, um, you know, get in the mindset that hey, if this is going to be a grind type game, if this is going to be one of those games that we need to play real patient and just not make mistakes, then uh, and knowing that we can still win those kind of games. It's now 15-0 and 0 when you guys are leading after two. Uh, what makes it so effective? It just felt like that that third period it was you know out and it was just so difficult for, for them to break through. Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, internally we would like to make a couple more plays with the puck. But, you know, again, they come they come hard. Right? They dump a ton of pucks in. They come hard. There's not a ton of space. There's not a ton of separation. Um, their D are sitting right in our wingers. So there's no real outlets. So sometimes, you know, putting out in the neutral zone, you know, is the only play you got. So being able to read those situations, hey, do I have time to or, or an open player to make a play? Or, hey, do I have nothing? Just put it out uh, and make them try to go 200 feet again with, with, with our good structure. Um, so you saw a little bit of that tonight. Well, uh, the the Sam Lafferty goal, the one that you get an assist on, and we kind of noticed uh, the play Noah Juleson made uh, waiting for you guys to finish the line change, and you saw the space open up. What did you see on that play, and how did that come open for you? Yeah, um, you know, obviously we want to play we want to play as fast as we can, right? We want to quick up pucks. We want to get going. We want to put it down the throat. But, um, you know, if our forwards are, are in the middle of the line change, it doesn't make a ton of sense to, you know, to, to throw it up in a, in a disjointed fashion, right? So let's wait for everybody. Let's get everyone on the ice, and let's play with possession, right, at that point. So, you know, he does a good job sucking the guy over. I kind of time my route to get in the middle ice and get going up ice, and then I want to time that route. Uh, with PD's swing so that when I get that puck, I can turn and I can hit him in stride uh, and try to get him as much speed and as much space as possible. And then, you know, PD does what PD does, which is create and, and make things happen. So, um, you know, anytime you can get the puck with the, to, to a perennial all-star and elite, elite superstar player with time and space, what you want to do? We were commenting during the game, like that play there, it's, it's elevated in front of the net as far as being stationary. But it felt like all the stationary breakouts kind of worked, whether it's just someone getting that... Uh, chip in at the red line it, it, it felt like they all connected yeah yeah i mean and, and again they put a ton of pucks in right mm-hmm. and then you know if we're changing or they're changing you know obviously we're not going to run up and just throw it to nobody so um you end up in a, some of those set breakouts and and again they kind of do that five-man press even on those set breakouts so uh we need to figure out hey how do we get guys open how do we get guys into space and we made a couple adjustments uh over the course of the game um you know our coaches and, and some of our players had some that's some good brainstorming going on there so we were able to open up a lot of ice and, and almost had a couple two-on-ones of breakaways out of it too which is which is saying a lot I remember speaking to you before the season, Ian, and you kind of mentioned how a team that's kind of forging a new identity and, and, and maybe learning from, from mistakes of the past, but also it takes some time to learn your systems. And there's been some ups and downs over the past you know, 14, 15 games, but you guys haven't lost three in a row. You've been able to at least bounce back with some victories. Do you sense with the group that there is some maturity with how you guys are handling some games as we're getting deeper into the season now? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, I think that as the season goes, um, you need to be 
you need to handle that uh, these stressful situations with maturity, right? I mean, you come into a one-goal third period, or or even in the past, you've been in tie games. Um, you need to be able to, to be confident in that situation. Hey, you know, I'm confident in this situation. I'm not feeling a ton of pressure. Like, hey, we just make the same plays. Hey, we just play the same way, and I know that if we stick to that, we'll come out on top. Um, and that's the confidence in in your teammates, it's confidence in the game plan, it's confidence in yourself, and all that uh, kind of culminates into, you know, that, that what, would you say, 15-0-0 or whatever that is. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, and there's still a lot of season left, so I don't want to get over, out over my skis here and say it's a, you know, it's a finished product, but, but, but we're growing, we're maturing, we're learning, you know, we're taking it in stride and we're keeping that confidence. Even when we lose a couple games, hey, at least we know what to fix. We're going to fix these things. We're going to move forward, and we've done that well so far. Uh, you're on the ice for the five-on-three uh, that, you know, Demko makes four great saves. Probably had the best view of it than anyone on the ice, uh, or sorry, in the building. But uh, the, the the four shots that uh, you guys end up giving up on that play, it's five on three. You're gonna give up shots. Are those the type of shots you want to try to give up in, in in situations like that? I think so. I think so. Um, you know, I mean, I'm trying to think back to, to what they were. Um, you know, I don't remember exactly. I know they were a lot from the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, anytime you're giving up flank shots, you're in a good situation. You want to be able to take those those middle shots away. We want to take away the low plays. You know, if we do that enough time and give them outside shots uh, and take away their seam passes uh, from those those flanker positions, uh, we know Denver's going to give going to get across and make that save. And if if we can take the the doubt of seam passes or back doors out of his head, then we know he can push over as hard as he wants and get over to that post and make those saves with confidence. So, you know, it's it, it's everybody doing their job, taking the responsibility and, and making it easier on other guys. A final one before we let you go, Ian. Nikita Zadorov played a few games with the Canucks and tonight looked very steady. How is he fitting in with the group? Yeah, I mean, I think, he, I think he's been great. Um, you know, he's a big guy. He, he skates well for how big he is. You know, he makes plays. Um, you know, he hits guys. You know, he's a physical presence out there. So, um, you know, he's he's still learning. He's still kind of getting his feet wet on what you want to do and, and the reads you want to make. You know, it's, it's tough when you don't have a training camp because that's the way we can spend. So we spend a lot of time going through those those kind of more intricate reads. Um, but, but listen, I played with him in Colorado for a year and a half. I was a deep partner for a year. Um, he's a good player. He's going to help us um, moving forward, and, and I think we'll be we'll be better better for having him for sure. Ian, it's always a pleasure chatting hawk, hockey with you, man. Good stuff tonight, and uh, we look forward to watching you guys on Tuesday. Yep, thanks, fellas. Have a great night. Uh, you as well. That is Ian Cole, Canucks defenseman, after a three, uh, four-three win over the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, fantastic effort from him here tonight. And uh, you know, b- before we wrap up with you here, Brett, you hear him. He's so good at articulating kind of what he sees and, and how they want to play. But you see how much thought it goes into just a simple breakout play and how they're able to connect and what he said about Elias Patterson trying to time, you know, uh, sync up his swing up the ice with how he's trying to move the puck. Watch Jarvis on that play too, because he's the one right next to Ian Cole and he kind of does this little twirl and Patterson flies right by him. And it's just, you know, it's, it's just great analysis in, uh, from Ian Cole. Yeah, what an interview that guy is. He's yeah. so articulate. It's, it's, uh, it's nice to listen to. Yeah, there's so much thought into especially set plays like that there's so much timing and and you saw actually miller and Tockett going over that exact <laughs> set breako that he's talking yeah. about and that's what they were talking about if you saw the board it's guys getting lost in the actual d zone right and then coming in and you're just hitting that tip that's all they were doing you get the so the d-man's got to go behind them that makes that room or gets that separation for the forward to get some speed with the D-man, allows him to tip it to the middle, that should be the guy with speed. And that all needs to be synced up where the guy's coming back, 
he's tipping it to the guy hitting the middle and that bank pass. So all those need to be in sync and working together for that play to work. Actually, I wanted to ask you, just in a game like tonight against Carolina where you know they're going to shoot a lot, and I imagine as D-man, the biggest fear you have is having to turn around and like everything's in your blind spot all around mm-hmm. all of a sudden because they're not carrying it to the half wall and chipping it. It's it's just pucks towards the net, whether they go behind the net or whatever. Imagine the stress that puts you under throughout the whole game. Yeah, you can you can alleviate so much stress by doing your work before the shots are coming. You know, closing those gaps and, and getting close to those guys before the shots are coming helps so much because that's when you can kind of get in run the little body interference or cross-check. If you're sitting there and you don't have a guy or the guy's got separation, that's stressful. And the shot's coming, and you're like, oh, no. You know, <laughs> if you don't have a stick or something, yeah. that, that that's stressful. So, yeah, on a night like tonight, like, for sure they're talking about it in the room. Shots are coming. Make sure you have sticks. Know your assignments. No D-men are coming down walls, sneaking back door. That's yeah, Shay's goal, yeah. right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, a lot of it is just being aware before the shot comes. Brett, great stuff tonight, man. Always a pleasure chatting with you and hearing your call alongside Brandon Batchelor. We look forward to chatting with you again soon. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, that is Brett Festerling. Fantastic stuff as always, analyzing the game. Uh, and this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Canucks with a 4-3 win over the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, get your thoughts in to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox 650-650. You can also grab a phone line 604-280-0650 or toll free 1-888-275-0650. We'll hit more of your thoughts, your questions, and your phone calls on the other side and we'll also talk a bit about JT Miller 40 points in 28 games ties on Canucks record for fastest of 40 points with Tony Tanti who did it in 1983-1984 we'll discuss that and more and plus we'll hear from the head coach as the Canucks Central Post Game Show rolls on on the home of your Canucks Sportsnet 650. The most comprehensive Canucks coverage in the city. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This is where you talk Canucks. You're listening to the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Lafferty in stride, driving to the Carolina line. Cuts wide on Chatfield, who forces him behind the net. Lafferty's still got it right wing side to the line for Hironic. Long shot, missed the goal. Big rebound, Karen's to the left corner. And McKayev's got it. He sweeps it behind the net for Pedersen. Wraparound, he scores! From behind the net by Elias Patterson, he shovels it past Antti Ranta, and the Canucks answer quickly after the Hurricanes tied the game. Patterson's 11th of the year makes it 4-3. to three. Well, great rebuttal by this line to come out with energy. I love Lafferty. He just, that's become such a staple in his game. He lowers the shoulder, sticks the empty hand out to kind of block it. Good job by Chatfield to make him go around. He puts it out to Hironik. That leads into a recovery behind the net. That's where Petey does the wrap. Elias Pettersson with a game-winning goal. Canucks win 4-3 over the Carolina Hurricanes here at Rogers Arena. And that was tonight's play of the game brought to you by Delaney's OK Tire Langley. Pettersson with a three-point three performance here tonight, Bick, came alive in this game. The closest he's looked to the level he showed the first 12, 13 games of the season. And it wasn't quite the slump because he was still at 34 points in 27 games coming into tonight's tilt against Carolina, now up to 37 points on the season. And the wraparound, obviously, it's a good play from him, but 
a good um, zone entry by the team in general. And as you mentioned, Pedersen doing a good job of getting body positioning on Sebastian Ajo. Yeah, and he was just good all evening. Uh, I hope everyone can just breathe now and say, all right, this is what this guy looks like. <laughs> and he just looked healthier tonight. Uh, and, and because it was all the physical engagement, again, not necessarily a big hit. Uh, it was just he was he was looking for contact too. Yeah. Of how do how do I stack guys and and make sure I can go make plays, keep my stick free. If if you, if you want to go make a defensive play, you're gonna have to take a penalty because I'm an, I'm in front of you. We're gonna go ahead and make a play, and so you're gonna have to reach, you're gonna have to hook, you're gonna have to slash, you're gonna have to trip. You drew a penalty tonight, so uh, just just through the whole course of the evening, uh, Pedersen was strong, gets the two assists, and then it's punctuated by uh, as as Brett said. With the wrap, he actually said, it's a wrap. It's oh, game-winning goal. Game-winning goal there for Petey. All right. Somewhat cheesy, but not bad. I like it. Uh, hope, people, for. <laughs> hope people will back off Pedersen now as a text that just comes in talking about Elias Pedersen. But that was your play of the game brought to you by Delaney's OK Tire Langley. drive through winner with confidence by switching to Toyo Tires, making tires for your road. Visit Delaney's OK Tire today on Fraser Highway in Langley. And especially with some of the snow we saw today, yeah, if you're looking at winter tires, not a bad time to consider it. And please be careful and safe on the roads, especially heading home tonight as well. I mentioned JT Miller. We're going to get to more of your text messages on our Dunbar Lumber text inbox. We'll take your phone calls in just a moment, 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. However, before doing that, you know, it, we're now you know, into the second segment of the postgame show. JT Miller... Great goal. We mentioned that a bit earlier. Broke that down with Brett Festerling, of course. Good play by Besser and Hoaglander and even Elias Pettersson. Starting that play by getting it deep. But JT now has 40 points in 28 games. Tying Tony Tanney, who also had 40 points in 28 games back in 83-84 with the Vancouver Canucks. JT is just knocking you know, records off too. We know how prolific he's been since he's joined the Vancouver Canucks. It's not always perfect with JT Miller. We know that, you know, recent games too defensively that line's had some issues and even tonight there's a couple of shifts where they had the better of them uh, where uh, Carolina did get the better of them in a couple instances. But the fact that they respond the way they do and the way that line's been driven by JT Miller has been very impressive this season. Tonight, uh, you know, you and I were talking before the game too of, uh, you know, his five-on-five production numbers of forwards who have played 100 minutes in the league so far this year. You know, he's ninth in first assists. Five-on-five. Five-on-five. So the first, the primary assists at even strength have been there for JT. The overall assists have been there for JT. The goals haven't been there at Mm five-on-five. And then tonight he gets that one-timer off in the slot where we already talked about uh, as well with Brett joining us. Uh, he was really strong tonight. And actually, the, the the play that you and I were like, whoa, there was a loose puck going out the the defensive zone. Yeah. And this burst from JT, and you just see the power in his game. Ends up drawing the penalty on he that He drew play. the penalty, yeah. And, like, that's that's the fun part of JT. It's, it's when he shows off the physical traits, and he is just a force at times to deal with because he's, he's big. You, you cite this thing, the... The hundred hits centermen that, that are over six six one or bigger and and are, and are point a game. It's like him. Is it gets the only players? The only the only yeah. Well, the only two players who've done it multiple times since the uh, cap era 
Ryan Getzlaff and, and JT Miller. That's it. It's unbelievable. Only two players that are six one or bigger, 200 uh, pounds or heavier, point a game or better in a season, and, and over 100 hits. It's a unique player. It is a unique player, and he's been fantastic for the Vancouver Canucks, production-wise especially, uh, helping them and, get off to this record tonight. Drawing up on the whiteboard, too. Yeah, hey, hey, him and uh, Rick Tockett. Active very discussion there. Very active and engaged. Rick Tockett obviously connecting very well with JT Miller. Navin Dallas uh, texted in. I told you guys that Hoagie belongs on the JT Miller line. He had a strong game. We talked about that as well. Now, we'll get to more of your text messages as well coming up in a second, but let's hit, hit a call on the phone boards as well. 604-280-0650. Let's go to Coquitlam where we have Anthony on the line. Anthony, thanks for calling in. What are your thoughts tonight? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. Just uh, wanted to call in to just say how uh, it, it's really nice seeing the Canucks in uh, how they kind of hold their leads going into the third period. And uh, mm. I'm just so used to years in the past where I, it, it, just anxiety there when, uh, you know, the Canucks were going into the third with maybe a one-goal lead or a two-goal lead. But seeing them play tonight and really hold down the fourth and the third, it just, uh, yeah, it, it definitely inspires a lot of confidence. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Hey, thank you very much. That's Anthony. First time, long time, first time. Love that. Good call as well. Call in any time. You know how we see players do like the rookie lap for their first game? We need one of those. Like, like what's our version of the rookie lap? Not answer the question. <laughs> Dead air. <laughs> no, but when, when first time callers come in, right? I feel like they should have to do something. They have to do, st- I don't know, do something. Like, is like, is this an initiation phase? Let's yeah. not gatekeep. Let's not no, make no, it harder and just, more intimidating just for people. That's fun. Yeah. Be like, hey, I'm doing this call, no Bucky or something. Like what that. call? <laughs> I'm doing this call hands free. <laughs> Something. <laughs> Something. Something. But there's uh, Anthony uh, competing, making his debut on the postgame show. I love it. You know how uh, the Dan Patrick show back in the ESPN days, someone would call in and say they're height and weight, and you get the ding? Maybe yeah. you should do the bell or Absolutely. something when that happens. Someone says, uh, or, long time, first time. Here we go. What do you have? Tell us your player style. Oh. Be like, first time caller, right-handed D-man. Okay. Stay at home D-man. There we go. Right. Sniper. Yeah. Whatever it is. I like that. I like that. We'll see if they, we can get that going. A lot going. of people are going to say they're snipers. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, listen, man. Live Goal a reality. Score. Hey, I will, I will say this. When you're uh, living in the virtual world, so to speak, you can be anything you want. I'm amazed how many people choose to be losers. So, like, yes, be whatever you want. Talk about whatever you want to be. This is great. All right. Uh, keep your thoughts coming into our text inbox, 650-650, and we'll take more of your phone calls here uh, as the show goes on. I know a lot. People are talking and wondering about Andre Kuzmenko. Now, we'll get into Kuzmenko a bit more, especially with what Elliot Friedman mentioned, that teams have been calling the Vancouver Canucks, inquiring about the availability or at all, if he is available at all, for Andre Kuzmenko. Now, people are wondering, why did he not play a ton tonight? Did he get benched the final nine, ten minutes of this game? Did that actually happen, Bick? So he winds up playing 10 minutes and 36 seconds. He does not play the final 9 minutes and 37 seconds, but neither did Phil DiGiuseppe or Nils Oman as well. And you just watched how that game played out. The Canucks so methodical, right? Clog up the middle, chip the pucks out, yeah. reset it all over again. It was just those three lines going over and over again. So I don't look at this as a true benching. I just see that as a shortening of the bench, and those are two different things. And I will say the last shift, because Michael had he did the the spin in the uh, offensive well, zone or sorry not spin he pulled up he pulled he was in the offensive zone he did pull up and then he tried to go he, cross he was, ice he was coming into the offensive zone there's two canes on him uh, or near him and he yeah. tried making a pass it kind of fluttered all the way to the other side canes end up with the puck. 
But you can see he was mad because he got to the bench and he stick smashed. Yeah, he broke his stick. He broke his stick. And, again, I'm not saying it was related to any sort of benching. It, it was just very obvious. Rick Talkett shortened the bench. Yeah. But even in that moment, Andre Kuzmenko knew, okay, that's the play that clearly the, the coach is mentioning. And when you see that, it's like, well, I don't necessarily know if you deserve to go back out. But... It wasn't a benching. It wasn't. Now, Andre Kuzmenko in this game pick, uh, he had a couple scoring chances. I mean, Antti Ranta made his best save of the game on Andre Kuzmenko, getting his paddle down on the goal line. And this has also kind of been the story for Kuzmenko this season. Some tough luck. Last year, everything seemed to go in for him. This year, almost nothing seems to be going in, especially on that play. But those plays also affect your confidence to some degree. Now, hey... Listen, this game's tightly contested. Carolina had a lot of sticks on sticks, and they're contesting, you know, uh, Kuzmenko, not making it easy for him. But then on the power play, in this one of the power plays in the second period, this is after, um, you know, he has a chance earlier in the game and doesn't convert on it. You see the confidence not quite be there with a the shot because he gets a clear sh- chance in, this, in the slot coming downhill, and he just he doesn't even look towards that or think about making a play on the net and just tries to pass the puck away. It's like... Those are the spots where last year he was he was pouncing on that, getting that puck on goal. On goal. Yeah, that's the play. It's not even as if he had a lot of work to do where it comes from the side and you got to turn or something like that. It came from below, and it's coming to you, and you're moving towards the net. It's, it's such an easy opportunity to shoot. And his first look wasn't even at the net. It's, should I go to Brock over on the wing on, on the flank? And the thing is, he like he started well. Yeah, there was the opportunity right at the goal line that Ranta saves. He was battling with the D man there too, but you know that one doesn't go in. And like you're in the right spots. It's I, I, I'd be more worried if he wasn't getting in, in good spots. See, in the offensive zone, I'm not as worried about it. I the one thing I'm 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 disappointed in more than anything, big outside of defensive stuff and him not being able to convince the coach, so to speak, not shooting the puck enough. Yeah, You know, like he's his shot. We talked about last year how heading into this season, one way to offset perhaps some of his scoring uh, shooting percentage regression, which was natural because he shot almost 30% last season, was shooting the puck more. Get the volume up. Not only has the volume not gone up, it's actually gone down from mm-hmm. last season. And that's where he needs to be a bit more cons- uh, assertive. But in the offensive off of zone, like we mentioned, like tonight, this chance goes in, uh, the one Ranta makes, that's just, a goal. I imagine it changes everything. And that's been, he's had like three or four of yeah. similar chances this year, which he has not converted on at least. Let's say, let's say he had five of those and he would have scored on three more. He's sitting here with seven goals. It's, the conversation is not the same that it is right now if that had happened. So he's not that far off. You just hope he can just earn the trust of the head coach a bit more. And we got a text here from uh, Will in Kelowna. Uh, Kuzmenko, nearly a point a game in the NHL until Tockett made him his whipping boy. Let him use his skills as a playmaker, not crashing the boards. Keep him in the top six. It's dumb coaching staples, Will in Kelowna. So, uh, you know, we're facts only here on this show. So <laughs> Kuzmenko under Bruce Boudreaux last year was 41 points in 45 games. Yes. 9.11 points per game. Under Tockett last year, it was 33 and 36. Uh, 9.16 points per game. Points per game were were down a little bit? Up marginally. Up up under, but he scored more goals under Tockett, I believe, than he did under I think it was like 20. Yeah. In the first 16 games of this year, it started 14 points in 16 games. Now, since then, it's completely dried up. But production can still be there for Andre Kuzmenko. 
Now, I said uh, there's things I'm not worried about as far as him scoring goals. I think that will return. The other stuff, like the forechecking that we talked about a, a couple of games ago, all the others, like managing the puck, that's where it's like... You, you do have to like apply what the coach is telling you to do. You can't just freelance on your own. Yeah. Well, the freelance to me, like even the forecheck stuff. Yes. Yeah, so to me, the forecheck does doesn't even have to be this gritty forecheck. I think that's more about finishing the act. Yes. You know what I mean? More than anything else, or committing just, to the act. Yeah. Exactly. Committing to the act. I think more than anything, where I look at it and say this is something you have to do, is those puck management decisions. And also staying out late in a shift, things that cost you. And sometimes you don't see those mistakes cost you in the moment because the play happens a bit later on, a few seconds later, and you kind of forget about the turnover or the play that was, you know, the blown coverage in the neutral zone or the offensive zone. And that's where kind of you go back and watch and see that it's happened. And that's something that doesn't even take you have to change your game and go out there and be a grinder. It's more about just literally make smarter decisions half the time and stuff that can't doesn't cost you. And hopefully he does, honestly, because he's a fun player. He's talented. And if he gets going with this team, especially with, you know, Brock Besser, uh, you know, being as productive as he is, 18 goals in the season, still leading the National Hockey League as of right now. We'll see if that changes, obviously. But it's one of those things where if they can get him going, it's big. And if not, then you hear the stuff like a trade speculation today. Um, Elliot Friedman mentioning his name that people are calling asking about it and the longer the drought goes the longer it takes for him to move up the lineup the more that's going to intensify I will say though uh, look at the difference in conversation between some other players we've talked about like a Beauvillier like a Garland I think teams recognize a goal scorer here so these are the type of guys I think you say hey we'll, we'll, we'll work it we'll try to work this out uh and, you know, there's a text here, unsigned, 650-650. Uh, Canucks need to be patient with Kuzmenko. Should not trade him. Look what a good offseason does to Brock. Kuzmenko needs a proper offseason. No Bali, uh, no beauty league for Brock. He will bounce back. An unsigned text here. And also, someone just texted in. First-time caller, uh, bar down. So they're giving themselves a nickname already. All right, I like it. Or a first-time texter, whatever it is. Right. I like it. Anything you want, you can do it. Give yourself a nickname. Create, create a, whatever a player prototype, whatever it is. Whatever you want. We're exactly. Here for it. Call yourself whatever you want. Uh, Jay and Poco texted, and we were mentioning earlier Jay and Poco, who was, um, you know, frustrated with Pedersen's game last time. and said, "Don't worry, everyone. PD finally showed up tonight. Sat's Messiah is back. Point per game, PD from now on. Right, Sat? Is I mean, it your Messiah? It should be everyone's. <laughs> there is a church of Pedersen. There is. Lest we forget here, we didn't make that up. So it's it's." people's Messiah. I mean, he's been well above a point per game. I mean, because... That was the thing. Okay, so like someone the, tweeted me uh, today. Uh, I'm so, sorry if I forget the name here. Uh, 650, 650, you can keep getting your thoughts in. But because I said, hey, January 24th, uh, it was Greg that tweeted me. I said, hey, your January date where PD is looking uh, pretty... Is looking back normal. It's pretty good right now. He's back. So, yeah, it's the safest prediction ever. It's not as if, as if we had to convince people that there's a star player in the making. You've literally seen it. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, well, it's, it's the same thing people say. We haven't. Seen, is he going to be able to play in the playoffs? It's like, did we not yeah. see it? Like in the he's playoffs? played three hundred and fifty-three games for the Vancouver Canucks. Yes. you've seen what a really good version of Elias Pettersson is like. And considering his age, he's twenty-five years old. Players keep getting better at this age in terms of overall ability. Maybe not you know pure production wise, but in terms terms of overall impact. Now they play. There's a good chance we haven't even seen the best of them, and that's the point. Coming into tonight, he had six points in his last nine games. Which yeah, for him, he, you know, mm-hmm. it's a stretch. Six points in nine no, games. That's good. But now, well, he gets nine points in ten games after tonight. 
So it only takes one game to kind of get himself back into that. And he's sitting here with 37 points in, in, in 28 games on the campaign so far. All right. Uh, we'll get to more of your text messages as the show goes on here. Let's go back to the phone boards. And we'll go to Nanaimo where we have our good friend Details on the line. Details, buddy, thanks for calling in. Uh, what are your thoughts tonight? Gentlemen, long-time caller. Uh, let's go rap game Todd Bertuzzi. Not afraid to get in them dirty areas. We're cashing <laughs> checks, snapping necks, metaphorically speaking, of course. And, uh, you know, you're not afraid to play in that tough area. Uh, hey, guys, two quick things here. So, first of all, uh, Clippers tonight, Nanaimo Clippers. I'm the host over here. If you guys didn't know, I might have mentioned it before. We did Teddy Bear Toss tonight. I want to give a shout-out to the city of Nanaimo for coming out in full force and draping the ice in teddy bears, toques, and all that. Uh, we do it proper over here, so BCHL, uh, awesome hockey. If you're not coming out, come and support your local BCHL team. Kate Pedersen, I'm coming for that job at some point. I'm not mad at you, girl, but at some point, I'm coming for that, Mike. Uh, <laughs> anyways, this is what I want to talk about. Casey right. DeSmith, we haven't had an awesome backup in a while, man. It, it worries me a little bit. We're talking Ethan Bear, PD. I get all that. This guy's important. How are we going to make this work where we don't have a one-and-done with having an awesome backup, not even a tandem, he's, or a backup, I mean, like an awesome tandem that we haven't seen in a while. I'll let you guys dissect it a bit more, but I just think that this is the, the, the secret no one's talking about is this guy with his record, his implement on the team, and his just cushion. It's not automatic win night like it has been in Vans some nights. Boys, I'll leave it with you. Rap game, Todd Bertuzzi, out. I uh, like it. Todd Bertuzzi, details, and Nanaimo calling in. Uh, you know, as far as... Um, the goalie usage. The goalie usage. And they're playing it perfectly. It's been, it's been terrific. I think what he means is, can they keep him long-term? Can they keep him beyond this season? The thing is, it comes down to the cost. If, if he's in and around what he's getting paid now, okay, I, I could see how they may fi- find that intriguing. But here's the thing. We know that this team is ha- has a few big contracts. They have a couple of inefficient contracts, and they have to pay Pedersen and Hironic. And when you sign those two guys, and I've mentioned this before, so if you fill out some, some of the depth spots, like, you know, 70, 80, and, you know, 13 forward, 12 forward, that type of quality, right? We fill out the Canucks roster, give Pedersen and, and Hironic a combined 19 million or whatever. The Canucks are going to be sitting with about 10.5 million to sign four players. How much of that can you give to your backup goaltender? It's actually 11 million because I'm taking the goalie out, actually, mm-hmm. make it five. So if you only have that much to play, you have to sign three defensemen still because for next year, you only have Hughes, Hironic, if you sign Hironic, and Susie under contract under this kind of idea. How much of it can you really afford to give to a backup goaltender if you're trying to still address other needs on the roster? And given his success this year, is he likely to sign a one or two year deal? Or more, yeah, even more. And could it be two million or more potentially? I. I term I'm more focused on because at some point you do got to work Arthur Silovs in here. That's well, the reason, right? So if you sign him to a, if Casey DeSmith was to get a two year deal, you're looking at Arthur Silovs and like, well, how many starts is he going to get over the next two years? And is next year the opportunity for him to uh, be the deputy in the in, in the goal crease, right? Because he'll be what 23 years old. Is that is is that the time to really start getting? Hey, is this a 21 game run for you and maybe right. there's some some way to work it out or there's another goalie that takes a little bit more of the burden but either way it's like at some point you're going to want to get him into a backup role too no absolutely all right Vic, uh let's get to the head coach we have the thoughts of the head coach in we'll get our thoughts more of your thoughts in after we hear from the head coach and we'll give you a bit more analysis about what happened tonight and a lot more 
jam-packed evening tonight. It's Satsuki Shaw with Bick Nazar. Canucks win 4-3 over the Carolina Hurricanes. And here is Rick Talk at postgame talking about what, what went right, right tonight. Yeah, team battle. I mean, obviously, I mean, I thought we should have been up, you know, a lot better. And then obviously a couple, a couple of penalties we should have had. And, you know, we kind of let them back in the game. But, but I like the battle at the end, too, the last third period. I mean, that's a good team. They've had a full court press on us, and we, we held, for, you know, we held serve. How much has this team matured in terms of how effective you've been protecting leads this season, and against a team like that in a game like? Yeah, that? no, I, I thought we, uh, I thought that third period. That I, mean, I, went, I went to three lines, obviously, and uh, the guys were taking 29, 30 second shifts. I, I thought that was a key. That was unselfish of the team to do that. We, you know, we we very rarely had anybody on the ice that was tired, which was nice. Um, like I said, they, you know, they're a good team. They full court pressed us, and uh, thought we held up pretty good. And when, when we didn't, Demer was there for us. Not an easy team to control play against, but five on five, you were able to uh, tonight. Um, aside from the short shifts, yeah, uh, was it just a simpler game that you guys were able to play to sort of out Hurricanes the Hurricanes? Um, I just think that our last two games were playing faster. We're, we're not massaging the puck. The D are getting up quick. The, the forwards are coming back quicker, and that's the style that we've been. That's the the utopia that I'm looking for, right? That fast hockey and everybody playing the same way, and we're we're still striving for that. Um, and tonight was another chip, you know, another chipping chipping away at it again. Miller gets the goal off a partial change, which would have been a, one of those short shifts for Pedersen. Sort of two questions stemming from that yeah. goal: Is that the sort of work you're looking for down low? from Niels Hoaglander in terms of being the first guy in and, and creating that chance and what does it mean for the team when you've got a, a superstar player uh, with a potential opportunity like that who, who, who gets off? Well, that's what I mean. You had a lot of assists on that play. Actually, when we scored, everybody was cheering and high-fiving it. I went up to Petey. I said, you should get an assist on that play. That's the unselfishness. You know, if he stays on, who knows? But he comes off, Mills, he comes on at, you know, full bore. I mean, he came down the pipe like nobody could have. You know, stopped him. He was, and then obviously it was a hell of a play by Hoggy, and I think it was uh, best. But uh, that's the stuff. You know, those are the staples we're looking for. Yep, for sure. And just your view on the two too many men on yeah. these penalties? It seemed like it was a mix up between the same two left side defensemen too. Well, obviously it's three now in two games, and we gotta, you know, yeah, it's you know, we gotta we gotta shore, shore up on it. You know, uh, we got that's. You could, I mean, because we're full control of the game, and then you give them, you know, the, what they have two or three power plays in a row, and that, that that took a little bit of steam off us, right? But uh, did a good job of killing it until that one. But yeah, that can happen, and uh, you know, all of us got to take responsibility, even the coaches. The other three penalties were stick penalties. You talked about yeah. that last game. I mean, that that must have been hard to yeah, keep a lid on. I thought the first one was. I'm not sure about the first one, but you know, they, they're a good rest. I mean, yeah, but you're right. So I, you know, we we've been pretty disciplined the last couple of games, but the stick penalties are something that creeps in here, and we got to stamp that out for sure. Carolina really likes to shoot the puck, which is yeah, kind of high volume. To what you want? How hard is that to defend against when they're keeping you kind of moving, you know, reacting to rebounds, things like that? Yeah, well, I think if uh, high sh- when you play sh- high volume shots, they sh- they're one of the best teams that shoot the puck from the strong side. You got to make sure that you box out, you get sticks. Um, and for the most part, I thought we were pretty good. Like, they, you know, it's, it's, Caroline's really good because they always get those backdoor or they activate the weak side D. And I thought we were ready for some of it, but, um, you know, they're a good team. Sometimes you just, they're going to beat you to the puck and then you just got to stay in structure. And I thought we did a good job staying in structure.
Rick, what did you like from the penalty kill tonight? It felt like those initial clears that you're talking about when they gained possession, like that was happening tonight. Did you see that as well? Like it was better. Yeah. It was better. The clears are better. I mean, that just saves you. Um, you know, we're obviously getting that one at the end. They scored there late. Um, that's a tough one. I thought we uh, we could have got PK could have been clean tonight, but um, but for the most part, the clears have been getting better. We still we're not there yet, but it's something that we're been working on. With the depth defenseman kind of battling for the six seven spot for Noah to continue his play on the penalty kill, how much does that help keep him in the lineup? I thought Noah Juleson the last three, four games has really played well for us. Like, I've, I've seen his game. Um, he's kind of doing the stuff we want him to do. You know, we want – he's a first-pass guy. He's getting the puck up when we – very rarely I've seen him get in trouble on the breakouts. Like, uh, in the past, sometimes you get a little bit pickpocketed, and I think he's starting to understand body position with the puck. Like, little things like that, he's done a really nice job for us. How about Demko's performance tonight, particularly on the penalty kill on the first in the first period on some of those East Coast yeah, plays? Yeah, I mean Demer was solid tonight. Obviously, um, you know, those are the <coughs> performances we get from our goalies most nights. Just solid, solid, very solid. Brock Besser coming into tonight, leading the league with 18 goals, comes out of the night still leading the league with 18 goals. But you can see some of those other aspects. He sets up the big goal for JT Miller and as well, multiple shifts out on the ice, defending the one goal even under five minutes to go. He seems to be working really hard to stay a well-rounded player. Yeah, he's taking a lot of pride in the 200-foot game. You know, he just, you know, he, he looks at me. He wants on the ice in those crucial moments to defend. Um, and he's an underrated passer. I mean, that's a hell of a pass. Um you know, he knows to go to spots. Um, yeah, he's done a really nice job this year for us. Teddy Bluger ends up playing a season high in ice time tonight. What do you think of his play specifically, like, on the penalty kill? Uh, very good. Saul, this is, uh, you know, Teddy, I remember he missed a lot at the start of the year. And I guess you see him, you know, he's getting, you know, that goal yet. The last game was phenomenal. Um, you know, he had some matchups. I put him in, uh, he was really good in the dots. I think he was really, I don't know what it was on the dots, but I, I got radioed down that he's one of our better guys on the dots. Um, yeah, Teddy, that, that line's been good. I mean, that, that, for the last 10 games, those guys have very rarely, they're in our end. Um, you know, like, you know, I mean, you, when I do game review, very rarely I have those guys on making mistakes in our own end. So obviously it's a credit to Teddy in that line. Nils has been given more defensive responsibilities this season, like being uh, on for more defensive zone face-offs. And around four minutes into the third, he made a good play to kind of stop a breakout. Is this something you've noticed emerged in this game? Hoggy? Uh, Hoglander? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, definitely. His body position, his um, awareness is something that he's worked on. Uh, not throwing blind stuff. I'm watching him do less of that. Um, and there's some key moments where... You know, even down low uh, to keep a puck in. Um, even in the, at the end there, the forecheck. And, you know, when you're up, the last thing you want your team to do is play prevent. And uh, he doesn't play prevent. He's he's first. I told him, like, I don't want you to back it up. So, you know, throw the puck in his corner. He'll probably keep it in there for about 30 seconds. That's as good. That's being a good defender to me. Sam Lafferty scored in three out of his last four games. Yeah. You know, um, what's he doing differently to position himself properly? Is it just as easy as, you know, keeping a stick on the ice around the net, or have you noticed something different? Well, I, I mean, I just, I mean, I had a big grin when he's, that, that's a typical power forward, forward, uh, forward uh, goal. You know, if you look at that goal, he goes through the middle drive, I don't know, he bowls his way in, 
you know, knocks people out and then rebounds there and he puts it in. That's a power forward type of goal. You you have to have those type of goals to win. Um, so that's the type of guy that since we've acquired him, man, he's, I don't know how many goals he's got now, but he's really come up big for us. And he's really helped Petey let, uh, be in that fast forecheck. And he's, he's relishing that role right now. Hopefully he can stay there. That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett after a 4-3 win. Uh, a lot of praise for a number uh, of players tonight. Well, the whole team said good quick sh- shifts late in the game. I felt they handled the full-court press Carolina had in this game and it was giving uh, Niels Hognatter some credit for how he played tonight, Pick. The subtle plays uh, just play to their system, right? And you mentioned less blind plays. And I imagine, you know, part of that is not even just, you know, blind passes into the slot or something like that, but plays where other people are going to be able to see what you're going to do, too. And when you're playing predictable, uh, especially when you're in that role in a line where, you know, part of the responsibility is get JT Miller the puck, get Brock Besser the puck. And how how are you facilitating facilitating play uh, to get those players the opportunity? You you know, he's going to keep. Uh, getting opportunities, and the leash is just going to get longer and longer for uh, Nils Hoaglander in that role. Well, and you also mentioned how he's good in the corners, right? Can you put the puck on a stick in a corner? You can hold on for it for a long time. I said to him, that's being good defensively. And yeah, you're preventing the team from doing anything offensively in the other end, at the very least. Uh, great stuff from the head coach, as always, in terms of the details he gives us. And we'll get into a few other things he mentioned. Noah Juleson. And a lot more coming up on the other side after a 4-3 Canucks victory. Brock Besser was on After Hours, had a lot of interesting things to say. We'll get you that as well right here on the Home Your Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Talking all Canucks all the time. It's Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Join the discussion on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Juleson takes it back into his own end. As we apologize for some of the issues with the ice level microphones inside Rogers Arena tonight. Pedersen gets a shot from the slot, and they score! Sam Lafferty! with the initial shot, but Lafferty's there on the doorstep to tuck home his eighth of the year, and the Canucks lead one to nothing. Good job by Lafferty. He just drives the net. He keeps it simple. Well, I, I mean, I just, I mean, I had a big, big grin when he's that, that's a typical power forward forward goal. You know, if you look at that goal, he goes through the middle drive. I don't know. He pulls his way in. You know, knocks people out and then rebounds there and he puts it in. That's a power forward type of goal. You you have to have those type of goals to win. Um, so that's the type of guy that since we've acquired him, man, he's, I don't know how many goals he's got now, but he's really come up big for us. And he's really helped Petey let, uh, be in that fast forecheck. And he's, he's relishing that role right now. Hopefully he can stay there. A lot of praise from the head coach, Rick Tockett, on Sam Lafferty. Got its eighth goal of the season tonight. And this is the Canucks Central postgame show. And home here, Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Canucks with a 4-3 victory. Ninth goal? Eighth goal? Am I off on this? Big is giving uh, you the look? No, no. I was, I, was, I was odd look because of the hard fade there. Oh, yeah, oh okay. Also, yeah. Oh, we got cut. <laughs> like, dead air? Did something happen? Uh, eighth goal, ninth eighth, goal for Mikheyev. Okay, there, there we go. Eighth goal for, from uh, Sam Lafferty, as I fast thought. Fast, uh, Very fast. Living up to the name. I love it. Uh, and he mentions on Sam Lafferty. The uh, hook faster than Kuzmenko <laughs> gets pulled sometimes. <laughs> Who's quicker? Rick talking, pulling. 
Andre Kuzmenko out of the lineup or Eddie Gregory, fast Eddie Gregory running the board. Uh, no, I, I would say. Uh, I would say somebody. Hopefully text- he can stay there. No, somebody texted in Reginald and said, uh, "Stop using the crutch." I would say so. May- maybe we should try to uh, eliminate some of these phrases. Oh, are we getting? Well, are we being critiqued. Oh. That's fine. That's fine. I like it. Reginald calling in from or texting in from the track. Uh, We're here for live air checks. I love it. I love it, and it's good to be pointed out. Of course. Yeah. Now on Lafferty, the coach mentioned. I hope he can stick there. Which, okay, that means, but also he mentioned what he wants to see from him, right? Power, Mm -hmm. driving uh, plays, right? And, you know, knocking bodies around and then banging in a rebound. The coach loves this type of straightaway hockey. And considering they want that guy to be good on the forecheck, the F1, the first forward, and on the forecheck, guys to win battles, he has a lot of those traits. The question just comes down to, is he the type of talent that can stick in a role like that long term? Is he best suited for a lower role? It's the same conversation we had with Phil Giuseppe, except for he's a more souped-up version. You know, clearly better player, faster, stronger. You know, probably has a better shot, too, I'd say, clearly. But is he a guy that can truly be... A player who can play in the in the top six. The coach seems to really like a lot of the traits, and he's going to get uh, a bit of a run here. It seems, especially with how much success the, success they've had. Full credit, to Sam Lafferty. Uh, but let's be clear: if, if they get another natural goal scorer, Sam Lafferty's going to thrive in a different role. Mm-hmm. Like he, he thrived in the fourth line role, yeah. he's thrived in a third line role, gets this opportunity. He's thriving now. This is by no means to me a permanent solution, but with what you have is the resources that are available to Rick Tockett right now. Hopefully, Sam Lafferty can stay there because he's producing. But the the search for Patrick Alvine and Jim Rutherford should continue as far as finding a, a pure goal scorer to play with Elias Pettersson. And maybe it's Andre Kuzmenko returning to form, but you still probably need another one after that. Uh, but Sam Lafferty, you know, for a fifth round pick, uh, this you know this to me is suddenly like rises up the priority list uh, for this offseason. He's the guy that can fit in. It just kind of comes like, honestly, down to anywhere. He does. I mean, he's he's a up and down forward. Brings a lot of traits. Can play center, right handed face off okay. guy. While, while, while we're talking about traits, like that's the trait. He, he has a lot of. He can skate and he's right handed. Yes, and he and he can play center. It gives you flexibility, multiple positions. Like he's a type of he's a type of super utility player you'd love to have in your lineup. Obviously, it always comes to a price. And he's having this type of season. If he continues this, fifteen points in twenty eight games, eight goals. It might not be cheap, so we'll see ultimately how it all fits in, but he has been tremendous. Brad in Nanaimo says, is Sam Lafferty the new Alex Burrows? And somebody else compared uh, a player to Alex Burrows today, and that was uh, Kevin Bieksa. This text saying, Bieksa compared Hoaglander to Burrows. Burrows, who had a not-so-great sophomore season, could be giving Kuzmenko uh, up this year, also come back to haunt us. And, uh, you know, in terms of uh, the, the Burrows comp, I'd always kind of pump the brakes on it. Like what Burroughs did was just so incredible. Lafferty, I'd say, has the better chance of being that type of player. But I don't, I don't think ultimately either guy is that. Like I think Hoaglander, mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure. I mean, because it feels like they're stylistically a completely different, completely different players, players too, right? No, their, their overall effectiveness on a, on a line. 
certainly the the output can can look similar. And when I say that too, because Burroughs was a very physical player, mm-hmm. like he, I think Burroughs wasn't very small. I mean, not to say you know he was huge, but he was like six foot tall, mm-hmm. and he was heavy on the forecheck. He was he was a player that was also gritty, would fight, drop the gloves, and everything. I'm not sure that's Hoaglander, so I'm not sure that's the type of player. But hey, Kevin BX had made that comparison. I so I think stylistically, maybe Lafferty and Burroughs. I just don't think anybody can really replicate what Burroughs did for those three or four years. I mean, he was essentially a first-line scoring winger. So that's just asking a lot, I'd say. Uh, let me read a couple of texts here. Uh, 650, 650. Uh, this one, uh, by the way, big shout-out to all the first-time texters also texting in. They're player types. First-time caller, always borrowing sock tape. Uh, first-time texter, stay-at-home, clutch, left D-man. Uh, Kuzmenko and Garland for Line A and Ken Johnson. I'd even throw in a second-round pick to get it done. Thoughts? Uh, I, I don't think the Blue Jackets are ready to give up on uh, Ken Johnson or Patrick Line. A. Uh, I mean, Line A maybe. Uh, Johnson, I'm not quite sure you're there yet. I mean, I like the idea, though. Would you do that? No. You're scared of uh, Line A? I'm scared of the contract. And, yeah. The contract's not great. Yeah. It, it's terrifying. I, I, I get it. I'd kind of like Patrick Line, but it just... Feels like a lot of risk you're taking on. It does feel like a, a, at least sizable risk. We're getting a lot of comments here about uh, Andre Kuzmenko as well, and we mentioned a bit earlier. Elliot Friedman reported that teams have called on Andre Kuzmenko, and I think that's always going to be a conversation now until he gets going offensively. We know the team is open-minded to doing pretty much anything on the roster outside of a very select few players, so you can never dismiss the possibility of something happening. I just don't know if you're at a point where that's something that's going to happen imminently. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll kind of see how that kind of unfolds. But, go ahead. No, I was going to move on. Okay, but but I would say, in terms of other things that can happen, we know Ethan Bear unlikely to come to Vancouver. Like Elliot mentioned today, perhaps Washington could be a destination. Toronto's, of course, been interested. Vancouver has essentially been priced out, is my understanding. They're not willing to really get into the bidding where it's going above a certain rate to bring him back. So it looks like Vancouver's out on him. And this person asks, thoughts on acquiring Adam Larson? My sources say it could be possible option for Vancouver. Unsigned text is what the, what the person says. Uh, now, uh, you know, sourcing and all that stuff aside, just in terms of Adam Larson, I do think he's the type of player that truly fits what this team needs. One of the better defensive right-hand defensemen in the league, has a year on his contract beyond next season. $4 million makes a lot of sense. You can even extend him beyond that. They have a room for a player like that long-term, Adam Larson. The question is, what is the cost of acquisition? Is he even available? which he might be considering. Uh, Elliot Friedman also mentioned him on the 32 Thoughts podcast as being a player teams would be interested in. Yeah, name check yesterday from uh, Elliot uh, on 32 Thoughts. I'm curious if he is available. Uh, If he is, uh, suddenly shoots up to the top of the list. Even more than my guy there, Will Borgen, also from Seattle. Uh, but but Adam Larson is like the perfect prototype that we've been talking about. Puck mover that can kill penalties right-handed. That's exactly what you're looking for at at a very, very reasonable number two. That would be a dream scenario. Yeah. And, you know, younger than someone like Chris Tanev, more established than, you know, some of the other names we've talked about, cost control at, at a very reasonable number. Like, that would be a very dream scenario. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it, it really would. And um, he's the type of guy that 
really fits in great defensively. I think he can be a guy you can put next to Quinn Hughes very easily as well. Or even if you have Hughes and Hironic together, you put him and Ian Cole together as a shutdown pair, for instance, and you go Zadorov Myers on your third pair. I mean, more you're talking, monsters, man. You're talking more monsters. There's Carson Soucy as well. How does he kind of fit into this now? I'm I'm very pro Adam Larson, and I think you know in the under the previous regime, had Adam Larson made it to free agency, he would have been very high on the list for Vancouver to go after. Seattle got him, of course, and signed him. And uh, we know Vancouver instead went out and made the trade for uh, Oliver Ekman Larson and Connor Garland at the time. So, hey, sometimes the difference can be some, some little things not going your way for other big things to happen. But nonetheless, I, uh, the new regime, could he be interested? Could they be interested in him? I, yeah, I'm just possibly. tackling just scenario where, where Adam Larson comes here and... He's six foot three, and he's the short guy on the blue line with Tyler Myers, Carson Susi, and Nikita Zadorov. Oh, that'd be such an odd look it, for him. It would be, it would be. But hey, uh, I love the th- texts. I love the questions in the comments. We'll get to more of those uh, coming up on the other side. Uh, like this one here says, Besser's resurrection is a huge part of the Canucks' success this year, both defensively and offensively. We'll play a few minutes of his thoughts from after hours coming up, Vic, uh, because he's been a sensational story. The coach mentioned his playmaking's been good as well. He's been a player who, who has good anticipation. Well, gets another assist tonight, a first assist on JT Miller's goal. He has 18 goals, still leads the league, and 14 assists. What a campaign from Brock Besser. We'll get to him. We'll get to more of your thoughts. Ian McIntyre will join us as well, and more analysis after a 4-3 Canucks win over the Hurricanes on here on the Home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Catch up on what happened in Vancouver sports with Halford & Bruff in the morning. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is where you talk Canucks. You're listening to the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Lafferty made a move into the Carolina zone. McKayev did well to stay on side, and Ian Cole dumps it behind the net. Patterson gets it in the right corner. Cycles to the end boards again. Hoaglander beats Brent Burns for the puck. Drops it to Besser on the end wall. Tied up by Slavin. Besser wriggles free into the slot. Miller, one-timer, he scores! JT Miller with speed on the drive right down the middle of the ice. Hammers it past Auntie Ranta. And the Canucks lead 3-1. And this is going to be a nice video session on this goal. You get everybody involved. Petey makes a really smart play to let Carolina think he's going to pressure. And they try to rim it. He puts it back. Hoaglander gets into a body. He puts it back to Besser who grinds with Slavin. And then you got Miller coming right down the pipe into the soft spot. Besser puts it on a tee, and he buries it home. Canucks with a 4-3 win over the Carolina Hurricanes. JT Miller with the tally, now up to 40 points on the season in 28 games. Ties the Canucks record with Tony Tanti for the fastest player to get to 40 points in a season. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Keep your thoughts coming in to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. And uh, Fast Eddie Gregory messages me and says, was that a better, softer fade? Yes. <laughs> yes. Well done. See, we're all accountable and in uh, Improving. Uh, great job, uh, Fast Eddie Gregory. On top of it. All right, we'll get to more of your text messages and thoughts coming up, and we are going to get to Brock Besser uh, coming up in a few moments as well. Like this text says, Zadorov was strong tonight. His size and mobility is such an asset. Need to bring him back. That is Josh in Mission. 
we, we, we've been wanting to carve out some time to talk about Zadorov. So much to discuss here Dude, tonight. There's a player I've been waiting to talk about as well tonight. Yeah, and we're going to get to him in just a moment. But Zadorov, uh, like Josh and Mission says, and Ian Cole gave him credit yeah. and said, hey, it's still going to take some time for him to get used to the system. He didn't have a training camp. That's where you hone in on these things. But nonetheless, his size, his mobility, his puck-moving ability uh, looked very comfortable in large parts of the game tonight. Yeah, there were moments, too, where... Maybe contrasting how he was supposed to play in Calgary versus what he's learning here now, where you could tell where he wanted to go do something, and he slams on the brakes. He's like, no way, i got to wait here, and then waits for the play to develop, and then he can start to activate and reconnect with the play. And so it's it's coming along, and I think these last two games, you've really seen the traits stand out tonight. There was a couple of moments where he's such a large human being, and for someone trying to get around him, it's like... And you got to buy a bus pass. <laughs> yeah, and, you might need to get a two-zone pass. And, and so, so even if, if someone gets around him, he still can win with the reach. And yeah. it's, just, it's so much work. Now, you know, I, I want to see what it looks like when he's really comfortable uh, in this environment. Is, is he someone that's going to move up as well to play with Ian Cole? And a real nasty side, right? And really hard to play against in the corners. Uh, Michael Bunting felt that. Uh, you know, borderline D- uh, DDT, yeah. like throwing him down on the ice and sitting on him as well, like I was mentioning <laughs> earlier. I was waiting for the referee to come for a, for a three count. Yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, and then Bunting gets up and slashes the door off as well. But no penalty called on it. Like you were saying, hey, both guys got away with something there. But a, cre- cre- uh, a real physical side to his game as well, which is a real added bonus to this team. And, you know, defensively looking better and, and hopefully even better things ahead for Nikita Zadorov. But, Bick, I, I know there's more you wanted to get to. Okay. A lot of text coming in because uh, Tone Sexton texted in and also Lloyd, who was at the game tonight, said, I thought Juleson had a strong game. Tone said quietly had a strong night for Juleson. Not so quiet for Rick Tockett. Said he, he was out there praising him, so it's not quiet. Said the last three games, uh, he's been good. And he's look, he's out there on the PK. He's out there on the five-on-three. First one out there uh, in penalty-killing situations. So, uh, and, and uh, just let me double-check how many shots he blocked tonight, but I feel like it was at least uh, a couple. Yeah, you got two tonight. He's been noticeable these last couple of games uh, for all the positive things. We talked about the play that kind of sets it up for the Lafferty goal. But just in general, it's, it's you know, the, the, the role player type games, he deserved a shout-out tonight, and a lot of people noticed that in the inbox as well. If you missed Ian Cole's interview with us, you can go back and listen to it on the podcast when it comes out later. A real detailed explanation of the Lafferty goal and what Juleson did to hold on to the puck, get over over to Cole, and then ultimately makes the play up by Elias Pedersen. Real worth your time just hearing from Ian Cole, but also breaking that down and giving you more of an indication of how comfortable Noah Juleson is, some of the confidence he's playing with and the plays he's making, but also defensively. He, he's thrust, trusted out there on the PK, gets out on the first unit, you know, mentions blocking shots, but he sticks in the right lane. He's closing out well. He's getting to pucks as well. I've been impressed the last couple of games with how he's played, and you have to give the coaching staff credit because there were games where he was... He didn't look like he really mm-hmm. belonged on the ice at times. He had real struggles, gave you know the puck away. He'd lose the puck. He, he'd look out of position, be over-aggressive. He didn't look like a guy who could stick. And the coaching staff still believed in him and still preferred him over Mark Friedman and still gave him opportunities, never took him off the PK. That trust they showed or in that patience they've shown with him has paid off. And I think the coaching staff deserves some credit for not letting that crush his confidence and building him to a a level here where he's giving you some credible minutes right now. Massive. And it, it just you know buys you some time, right? Like oh every one of these wins as they work through this, you know, 
roster that's in transition and you know gets you close to the playoffs and it it just delays some of the decision making because think where we were you know when Zadorov was acquired it was okay you, you got to go do this like these guys are just in survival moments right now and now you get these wins it's like all right cool it's like they're they're contributing it's it's now a late January problem be like hey when should we go address this uh, you know the the overall defense. So you need to go get another guy, put someone down the lineup and out of the lineup. But now if you're playing like this. It 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 turns the attention elsewhere on the roster. So yeah, credit to Noah Jolson. Absolutely, uh, give him credit for how he's played um, and how he's handling uh, the minutes right now. And we all know when Carson Susi comes back and they're healthy, he slots right back into the lineup. Uh, but hey. You give credit where it's due, and Noel Juleson did his part here tonight. Uh, a lot of thoughts on the text inbox, 650-650. Brock Besser is getting uh, a lot of praise on the text inbox as well. We're going to get to his thoughts in a second. This one here says, Besser's resurrection is a huge part of the Canucks' success this year, both defensively and offensively. And as far as that success and how different it is from last season. Brock Besser was on After Hours, and he kind of got into where things were at last year and how things are different now. And it could have been different. Maybe he would have not been in Vancouver, but he is in Vancouver enjoying a lot of success, and here he is post-game on After Hours. What you went through the last two seasons has been well documented. We're not going to do a deep dive into that tonight, but it is enough to know that you played last season with a heavy heart uh, given the passing of your father, Duke. Here is a quote from you. I really blamed hockey for a while for not being home with my dad. It was a big challenge. I worked through all year uh, with my hand injury and trade rumors, and I wasn't playing well. Um, It was a lot, end quote. So uh, how and why did your mindset change over the summer or maybe even before that? Yeah, um, you know, I think just like you said there is, um, you know, it's hard being away from someone that's sick, especially for... um, you know, eight or nine months of the years, and especially when my mom's taking care of my dad as the primary caregiver, and, you know, those last couple of years were tough. So, um, yeah, I think just kind of after the trade, the deadline last year passed, I, I kind of got to reset, and I was working with someone away from, from the rink, and, um, you know, I just wanted to have a good last 20 games there, and I thought I did that, and then going into the summer, I kind of carried that momentum into working hard and starting training earlier, and then I just tried to carry that into this year, and so far it's worked. Dave? You talked about carrying it into the summer. Were there some things that you identified that you wanted to work on in the summer that brings you to your successful start so far? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I I started a new gym, the you know, the Canucks and I talked about it at the end of last year. So I started a new gym and started May 1st instead of, you know, a little later. So only took a couple of weeks off, which, you know, I think helped a lot. But um, I think the biggest thing was just the mental reset and yeah. you know, being able to come back to a season fresh and ready to go. Was there anything that they were doing with you in the gym early on that you said to yourself, I, I don't think how this is going to work. And then as the summer went on, you're like, oh, OK, I'm getting stronger. I'm getting better. And then you see what happens so far this season. Yeah. I think, um, you know, whenever you're working out and you're going home and watching playoff hockey games at night, it's never a good feeling. So um, it just kind of motivates you more. And, um, you know, I think I just kept thinking of that as I was working out in May. Here's a quote then from uh, your captain, Quinn Hughes. He says, I can't say enough about Brock. He has grown over the last couple of years. Uh, he's a man emotionally and physically. That covers a lot. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, Quinn's... Uh, 
he's a great guy and he's you know he's been by my side from the start and you know he's one of the guys that came to my dad's funeral so that means a lot to me and um you know i, th- I think uh i've tried to be a, a mentor to him over the years and um you know just to have his support means a lot uh you mentioned trade rumors uh in your previous quote and they did swirl around you for much of last season i wonder with uh, where you are now enjoying your most productive season ever if you ever take a moment to uh, to think to yourself man i'm happy that didn't work out oh yeah i did think about that and um you know even in the summer i was kind of happy i never got traded um you know, I think everything happens for a reason, and um, I love Vancouver. I've, I've made that known, and I love the fans and uh, the community and my teammates, so I'm really happy that I'm still here. That is Brock Bester on After Hours tonight with Scott Oak and Dave Tomlinson. And we all know what happened last year. Had a lot of uh, you know praise for Quinn Hughes and the, the friend he's been to, and um, and obviously a lot of struggles for him last year, both emotionally, personally, and also on the ice with the team. And it could have been different. You know, there there was no secret that he was on the trade block, so to speak. That teams had they made any sort of a real offer, you know, like anything that would have actually given the Canucks cap space and maybe something out of it he would have been gone like i don't think the price price of acquisition for brock besser was astronomically high last season pretty much anybody who really wanted him could have come and got him nobody did and he's here now this year and he says he loves vancouver he loves being here and as far as how he's playing on the ice you know we mentioned kuzmenko and his struggles but brock besser is more than making up for it at this point He's got the goal scorer's confidence all over again, and uh, you know it, it's it's showing out in the rest of his play as well. And that you know, pass that he makes for JT Miller, just in control and slowing the game down uh, with him and Hoaglander. Did Brock have the biggest summer? I'd say so. Out of all the players that you know were challenged, go have uh, big summers. I still got to say Quinn. I think what Quinn's done with his shot this year mm-hmm. is nothing short of sensational, and. I think, obviously, Brock is scoring more and doing the things, but it's not like we didn't know he had a shot. He's got quicker mm-hmm. and faster. And Well, I don't, honestly, I don't know how much faster he is, to be honest, Vic. I think he's moving his feet more. I think he's more engaged. I don't think he's more explosive. I think in a straight line, he was always pretty good once he got going. So I'm not sure he's quicker. I do think he's moving faster. I think he's playing faster. I agree with that. Sm- you know, Abs smarter. Sharper fa- angles. More engaged. And, yeah, he probably is in better shape. I'm not doubting that. And he's he's been sensational, absolutely, no doubt. I still would say Quinn because of how he's turned a shot into a strength when it was a clear weakness in his game. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, but certainly, uh, you know, hey, it's, it, right it, now, it's a good, you can make the case for him. Tremendous spot for Brock Besser to be in. I should have just said yes, yes for the narrative. No. But. <laughs> hey, this is open, honest discussion. There it is. Yeah, man. No, And, and Brock's getting his love. You know, uh, detail says it's a best erection, fellas. What did we say earlier? I'm not sure. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not quite sure. Uh, uh, this uh, this text here says, "Let's no, bypass that one." Okay, no, let's bypass. Never mind. Yeah, <laughs> you go ahead. You go ahead. You go 650, ahead. Six uh, fifty. Unsigned text here. Uh, this one, uh, boys, great show as usual. Hoaglander looking like our version of Nylander. Man, a lot of Hoaglander comps today. Uh, this one, Miller versus Bo. Oh, no more Miller's dominating top line coming together. Uh, Demko slightly off his game right now. We're finding wins. Demko, uh, 
gets a few more bounces and our team tightens up a bit. We're looking like a contender in the West. Demko uh, slightly off his game right now. I thought he was fantastic tonight, especially the five on three, turning away four shots. Uh, Demko was really strong tonight. I thought he was too. I mean, none of the goals were really weak. I mean, we're talking about uh, you know the backdoor play. Uh, that was the third goal he gave up. Outside of that, I don't think any of the goals are really... I don't even think it was a bad goal. I can't really think of it. And he made a number of really good saves tonight. He didn't face odd man chances or anything, but anything he faced, he was up to the task. Uh, certainly. And again, the, the, the penalty kill, to me, was, was his shining moment there because early in the period, and actually early in the game, like the, the Hurricanes really struggled 5-on-5. Five five. Yeah. By the way, Carolina Hurricanes had a players-only meeting after this game as well, reported by Elliot Friedman. Uh, so the Canucks uh, put them to the sword at uh, 4-3, and they're like, 0-4 oh, and in Western swing here? That's a tough... That's a Players-only meeting? I mean, they've really struggled. If you look at the standings for them, they're a team that consi- were considered a Stanley Cup contender coming into this season, easily uh, a contender to be a top-three team in the Metropolitan Division. Right now, they're sitting outside of the playoff picture. And the East is tough, man. The East... You know, I, I thought there would be way more competition in the West this year, Pacific Division yeah. most notably. Also, East is, you know, uh, I projected a bit of a jump for the Canucks and all that sort of stuff, but right now the West, it just feels like seven teams, maybe eight. You go to the East, yeah, you're down to like 11 teams. You know, is Pittsburgh going to make a, a jump back here? There are some good, good teams in the East, and like Philly's you know, still surviving, Detroit's hanging around, so it, it's tough reality right now in the East. I mean, people are waiting for Philly to, to fade, but I mean, the longer it takes, the more difficult it makes that race, and right now the Carolina Hurricanes are in a spot nobody expected tw- a third of the way into the season. We're at the, you know, a, we're at, I mean, it's hard, it it's not, doesn't ring off, doesn't roll off the tongue, a third of the season poll or something, right? But it's, it's a sizable, it's a sizable chunk of the year. Beef. Pole is, Pole is is the yes, my, end of the race. I'm just making a joke here, okay? But yes, I'm you're right. Pave. All right, fine, fine. Accountability, okay? Yeah. We'll we'll go with it. Whoa, this is a really accountable show today. <laughs> Josh, you can do something wrong so we can uh, call you out here. Yeah, Josh has been flawless. Josh has been flawless. I'm not sure what he's done no. outside of no, you know, you know <laughs> <laughs> outside of getting Ian Cole on here for us tonight. But <laughs> I don't know what he's done. Uh, He's my manager of the whole show, executive producer. He tonight. didn't make any. He didn't make any mistakes, and that's the best part of it. All right, uh, we're getting to the final part of the show, and that's when we called him the closer. He just comes. He came storming out of the bullpen. He's walking in. He's a triple threat. You watch him on TV. You read him on digital, and you hear him on radio. He is Ian McIntyre. You know, Shohei Otani's only a double threat. Oh, he is. And he's get, getting $700 million. He is. How nuts is that? And it's not even the craziest contract of the last couple of days. That would be John Rahm getting $600 million to play golf on a tour that nobody cares about and is supposedly going to be absorbed at some point or merged. Actually, they're just buying the PGA Did you ever tour. think we'd see a billion-dollar contract? No. But now it's like we're, we're, we're getting pretty it, close. You know, it wasn't that long ago, honestly. I mean, NFL teams have been worth over a billion dollars mm-hmm. for a while. But it wasn't that long ago 
most pro sports franchises were not worth a billion dollars. Yeah. You know, for for 600 million, 700 million until well what, what did uh Seattle pay? 650, was it? wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So th- those contracts are more than any NHL team has ever been oh, worth at, at its infancy. And Obviously. Seattle was, what, five years ago today? Yeah. Or, or it was like five years ago was last week. I mean, the, Car- the Arizona Coyotes, I think the latest uh, Valuation. valuations had them at, what, seven, uh, 620, yeah. 75 million right no, now? No, listen, there's lots of teams over a billion dollars now, yeah. like in, in value. But to buy a team in the National Hockey League cost roughly the same yes. as these two three contracts. Years of John Rom. <laughs> yeah, three Just, years of John Rahm. Three years and ten years of Shohei Otani. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. Is, is Rom, Rom's contract not three years? I, I thought it was three years. Okay. I, 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 I've not seen a official report, yeah. so I, yeah. I thought it was I mean, three years. They're all going to be back together at some point anyways. When the Saudis just flex their bankroll if the if the u.s government allows it we've gotten off on a tangent yes, here. yes uh, a bit of a tangent i mean what i was gonna say drive is, the bus sat well, I, I tell you all the time i mean I would, drive the bus don't, I mean, don't let the kids in the back who are loud <laughs> distract you keep us drivers. on the road i had actually you know I, I actually had a line coming out of that song saying usually we know especially the last couple of years is there a way out of here from Jimi hendrix we apply that to the canucks and their struggles you can apply that to the carolina hurricanes who held a players only meeting and this is the year where vancouver's now putting teams <laughs> in a bad spot so yeah i've i've seen enough players only meetings over over the years to realize they they really don't mean anything anymore <laughs> but it was it was uh, I thought in a lot of ways impressive the way the Canucks handled them. And, and yes, Carolina is at low ebb right now, but you know they, they may have problems beyond just this four-game losing streak. I mean, where they are right now. But they dominate, absolutely dominate. As you know, Sat, being an analytics guy, <laughs> dominate metrics, uh, shot metrics in, in the NHL like nobody else. And the fact the Canucks held them to four even-strength shots through 40 minutes, and granted, 15 of those 40 minutes were played on special teams, but still, four even-strength shots, and only seven shots in the final almost 17 minutes once the Canucks took the lead. And in those seven shots, I can't think of a a grade-A scoring chance that, that they had. 24 shots in total, which is their second, ties their second lowest of the season. And Vancouver quietly 15 0 0 when leading after two. That's crazy. In the NHL these days, with the amount of talent and yeah. firepower, and we routinely see, see teams coming back from two goals, three goals down. Teddy Bluger told me after the game, four goals down. Uh, you see teams coming back. And they, ha- they have not dropped a point in a game in which yeah. they've led into the third period, even though they dropped their lead briefly uh, in the third. But, you know, I, I think a lot of those things are very good, very good traits for Vancouver to have. And the players themselves were talking about it post-game, that, that if they get to where they expect to this season, they're going to be playing a lot of these really, really important one-goal games late in the year, and they didn't say playoffs, but that's yeah. what they're inferring. And it it is really important that you're able to handle the pressure 
of leading by one late in the game, and that's something the Canucks have, they haven't <laughs> they haven't had many one goal leads. They've had a lot of multi goal yeah. leads, but I, I was very impressed by how they finished tonight. the The start was impressive considering how badly they had started Thursday against Minnesota. But to me, the finish was even more impressive tonight, the way they saw that game out 4-3. What is it about these third periods that they've, they're so good? Like, they're just calmer all of a sudden. Yeah, well, you don't, yeah, you, you don't see them, um, you don't see them making unforced errors like we've seen so much in, in recent years. Um, I mean, yes, there are mistakes, but we're not seeing them just turn it over in their slot. And, and they gave up a goal tonight on a two-on-one. Occasionally that happens. It wasn't a great night for Quinn Hughes tonight. Uh, but they didn't give up any of those rushes when the game was on the line. You know, they, their, their back check is good. They're strong on the pucks. They protect the front of their net. They basically played defensively, I think, the way that Rick Tockett has been wanting them to play for, for yeah. a while now. And, you know, they have, uh, as, as we all know, they have enough firepower that, sure, occasionally they're going to lose a game and score one or get shut out. But they have enough firepower that if they play well defensively and don't make those unforced errors in their own zone, and you got Thatcher Demko in near net, you're going to be hard to beat. I think so. And I, I think there is still a level, of course, that they can get to. And the coach alluded to that, too, and said, tonight was closer to the team, our hockey utopia. I thought it was interesting about what they want to be in terms of how they react and play. And they're not there yet, obviously. But we're a third of the way into the season at this point. And this team has gone through a stretch where they went 10-2-1 and one, and now the last 14 games they're 8-6 eight and, uh, eight and six. so now starting to get above 500 a little bit here so can we see this team now over the next third of the season get over this kind of 500 pump and be a team that's playing above 500 the rest of the way yeah I think they're going to win more than they lose for, uh, for sure from here on out and, it, and it's you know we've talked so much about the the floor coming up for this team and again I know I'm repeating myself, but we don't know what the ceiling is. Uh, it, it's obviously higher than it's been for a while, but we don't know. Are, are they really going to be a 110-point team? Are they going to be a 98-point team that you know is a wild-card team and now they have to play their way up in the playoffs? We don't know that. But I think what we've seen in these last three weeks, and you talk about the eight, eight and six, and this is the first time they've won consecutive games. Eight since, and seven, actually. Eight and seven. That's, that's since, the middle of, since the middle of November. What we've seen is that the floor is a lot higher. Yeah. Because a, a bunch of these games that they've won, while you know trying to find their A game, trying to find the utopia, they just would have lost last year because they wouldn't have had the discipline to not make the the big mistakes, to not make the unforced errors. They'd be giving up the, the grade A chances and the outnumbered rushes and turning over the puck and, and all these all these things. They don't do that no. now under Talkit. And you know, to me, and I kind of alluded to this after the Minnesota game, to me, if you're looking at a glass half full, there's a lot of positive things in how they have handled what clearly hasn't been their best spell of hockey. Mm-hmm. And clearly... You can't play a whole season that way. Like, you have to be better. If they want to do anything, they got to be better than they've been yeah. in the last two weeks. But how they've handled not being at their best, to me, 
is a sign of how much this team has grown, how much it's progressed from what we saw the last three years. Uh, you mentioned Hughes and, and that pairing, Hughes and Ronick. You know, the last little bit, it hasn't looked as dynamic as it did earlier. Is it something we should be monitoring? They're, they're fantastic players. They'll be fine. Just just how that works with them together. Well, yeah, I, I think it's it's of interest because they were so good in the first month of the season. Yeah. Arguably the best pairing in the NHL. And for much of that time, it wasn't even an argument. Like their, their stats, off, everything was just off the board. So it's interesting to see, okay, well, we knew that was going to be unsustainable, but but was it a bit of a mirage? Like, are they really yeah. not that good? We know they're, they're, they're good players. We know Quinn Hughes is a great player. Yeah. But are they, as a pairing, are they Kennedy, just not yeah. really what we, we saw in that first month? Or or can they, can they be? So I, I think it's interesting that way. I think it's interesting to see how long, how much they play together. If the pairing isn't going to go well. I mean, that's why it stayed together. It was put together by Adam Foote uh, sort of on a hunch at the start of the year because they didn't play together in the preseason much. He thought, well, let's try it and see how it goes. They were so good, they could never get them apart. It'll be interesting to see how much they allow them to stay together if they're not going to have their their A game. I think each one is is struggling uh, a little bit. I think Hironic at times he looks just too much for Quinn. Like he's always, and and is trying to make a home run play sometimes where where it's not there. Uh, you know he hesitated on on the the first penalty where he lost the puck to stall behind the net yeah, and yeah. he took a penalty and that's because you know he turned with it and he did what Rick Talkett says not to do to hold on to the puck and yeah. wait like move it make a play. So uh, he's been struggling a little bit, and Quinn just tonight, his his decisions were just off a little bit. You know, he got yeah. caught on the two-on-one, um, which Hronick didn't defend very well no. either. Like, you're allowed to defend a two-on-one. Yes. To, That's not the way to do it. He, fi- he kind of finds—it's not the first time either, like, on the two-on-one where he finds a dead zone where you're not taking anything yeah, away. Yeah, he, he's not, in, not yeah. in the right lane, right? Uh, and, of course, uh, Quinn, I think it was his fault the second. Too many men, I don't know whether— Ian Cole bluffed him at, at the bench. But, the, I mean, the puck was yeah. coming. And no matter what, no matter what players say to one of our coaches say, we all know it's incumbent always. No matter what is going on, the guy coming on the ice has to make sure the guy going off the ice is actually going off yeah. the ice. So it wasn't a great night for Quinn. You know, his ice time is under 20 minutes uh, for one of the few times this season. Maybe the, maybe the only time. I don't have it in front of me. Yeah. But uh, it, it is it is big. It, and I don't look at it. Okay, I'm not really worried because they're both excellent players. Their and, bad games are like still 90. Yeah. It's just, okay, are we going to see what yeah. we saw in the first month? Is that yeah. possible again, or was that just a little bit of an aberration? Well, he's been pretty much taken off the PK, and the PK has been better. I mean, the only—I mean, it's unfortunate they gave up the one goal and too many penalties that, they took. By the way, you know, Quinn didn't defend that very no. well either. You well, know, the played- pass going through his skates. And, and these are great players who make these plays. Yeah. And it's the NHL. Guys do get the puck passed through them. But in that situation, you know, there weren't a lot of other obvious f- threats, and the Canucks had numbers there. Yeah. They should have done a little better in that situation. By the way, he was still a plus two tonight. He was. I mean, he is a great, so funny, he is a great player. Yeah, it's funny, but it's minutes because he only played 10 seconds on the PK. Otherwise, 
he otherwise probably get, if he gets some PK time, he's probably playing 22 minutes tonight or whatever it is. But essentially, taking off the PK tonight, yeah, is still I, a, you know a moment where you it know. Wasn't and great. Rick Talkett has has talked about this, and I didn't hear what he said post game, so uh, I don't know if he was asked about Quinn. Uh, possibly not, not given, specifically, given no. the circumstance yeah. of the game and, and the win. But uh, they feel that these guys have been overplayed, and he has talked about that. I mean, so much of the motivation to yeah. get Zadorov was not just because, well, gee, we miss Carson Soucy maybe more than we thought. It's mm. if we don't, we're going to kill Quinn Hughes yeah. and, <laughs> and Philip Ronick because they're going to be, they yeah. can't keep playing 28 minutes. This could simply be a lingering effect uh, of that, the byproduct of, of all that ice time. I'm not sure that it is because uh, I don't know Philip Ronick well enough to say, but certainly he played a lot more than he's played before. So maybe he he just is showing the signs of that. But Quinn is always a guy who seems to play better the more he plays. He's t- kind of tireless, and all his coaches, all his coaches that he's had in Vancouver, have have said that that he's just a guy who doesn't seem to show uh, the effect of playing uh, all those minutes, but. The team is trying to get their minutes down, and you know this. It, it will be interesting to see how how that goes. But you know, as much as we talk about, it, I hope people realize we're not suggesting there's any sort of crisis here with Quinn Hughes any more than there's been a crisis with Elias Pettersson, who suddenly now has seven points in four games again, and tonight looked fantastic. I mean, there's so many different things to get to. We didn't even get to Elias Pettersson. We're at the that's because I show up late. I'm I, sorry. I know, but it's okay because we spent we we spent a lot of time on yeah. him today too. Uh, earlier on the post. him and the sort of Elias Patterson pointed to Bick. I meant Elias Patterson. I love talking about Bick. Bick, yeah, I mean, who, who, who doesn't like talking about Bick? The little so, Buddha. What are, <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, because I sit, yeah. But you haven't done that in a while. No. Uh, I was are you trying not earlier. to do it because you think I'm going to mention it? He's old no, and washed I, now. He can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, the reason I do is it keeps the joints flexible. <laughs> it does. Ian, great stuff as always. I look forward to reading your latest on sportsnet.ca. Bick has one more message to get in. A text. Uh, iMac sounding relaxed tonight. He must have fixed his light bulb. <laughs> Did you fix it? <laughs> no. And now it, it, it's oh. the the problem has exacerbated. Oh, no. I I did get the light bulb out only to discover that the electrical current isn't working in in that light. And now I'm really screwed. Now, so, now I'm gonna have to seek professional help. Yeah, he's so far into despair. He's relaxed. That's kind of where it's at now. Yeah, it's a, it's one of those two bulb uh, fixtures in the entrance hall with a sort of a dome. Glass, right. so I thought, well, I'll just put in a brighter bulb, <laughs> and it was it was white. It was like an interrogation room, yeah, so I had to I had to switch it back to the orange bulb. But light, softer light. Uh, I'm glad I'm glad that people feel my my pain and the challenges I endure in this life. Changing light bulbs. Oh, people are very aware. They they pay attention and they know what's going on. I but did get the old the broken one out though. You did good. Yes. Okay, good potato. Or did you? No, pliers. Oh, there we go. Okay. Maybe that's how I wrecked the, <laughs> wrecked the wiring on it. I don't uh, know. Well, Godspeed. Hopefully, it gets fixed you. very soon. Thank you. Make sure to read Ian's latest on sportsnet.ca. Bick Nazar back on the People Show on Monday. I'm Satyar Shah back at Canuck Central on Monday as well. Thank you. Thank you to all of you for listening, participating in the post game show. Always appreciate it. Thanks to Josh Elliott Wolf here at the rink. They were doing flawless, a lot of great work. Flawless, flawless performance. performance. The and only one. Fast Eddie Gregory back at the station. And thank you all on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650.